Hi, and welcome to the Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast. Every week, we will talk to the great, the good, and the legendary from the worlds of food, drink, marketing, and business to help give you the advice that will really help your brand boom. A huge thanks to our headline sponsors, the award-winning Engage Interactive. Engage Interactive have been helping hospitality businesses like yours prepare for a mobile and digital first world since 2007. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. So today's podcast guest is not quite HRH, but he's certainly HH, and it's Harry Hugo from the influencer and social media agency, The Goat Agency. If any of you spend any time in LinkedIn, you might have seen The Goat Agency with their daily vlog that's getting tens of thousands of views every single day, where it's an appointment to view and it's almost became a soap opera where people are tuning in to find out what's going on with the GOAT crew and what's going on in the GOAT's life every single day. GOAT stands for greatest of all time, and in my eyes, Harry and the team definitely are. They're making incredible waves, and for only being 24-25, Harry's already got a lifetime of experience and accolades under his belt. I talked to Harry live from his 26th floor balcony in the baking hot sunshine, And as usual, he's cool as a cucumber, spitting out amazing tips and tricks about how you can get the best from your social media, from your team, and from the influencers that you might work with. So it gives me the greatest of all time pleasure to introduce my next guest, who is the incredibly talented, annoyingly young and super handsome highlight man, Harry Hugo. Hello. I've never been called super handsome in my life. <laughs> I very, very much appreciate it. I'm, I'm so gutted that your hair has now disappeared. But I actually, I have to say, I think uh, your new buzz cut haircut looks quite good on you. It might be the one. It might be the one. I think it's, uh, I'm now sort of got a double threat, which is um, not a long enough beard to hide all the chins and not long enough hair to hide the ruffles at the back. So. Um, I'll need to maybe get myself onto a treadmill before long. <laughs> but um, no, I'm, I'm quite enjoying it. And um, yeah, I, I did it myself um, with a couple of little errors along the way. But um, yeah, I, I kind of got there. But I could thoroughly recommend it. It's, it's a bit of fun. But yeah, divorce is on the cards for many reasons. Uh, this has been one of them. And the wee one just said, you look really ugly. So that's kind of where I'm at. But I had some nice feedback online. <laughs> Usually it's your family loves you and you get bad feedback online, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, but yeah, no, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. I mean, obviously we're in bizarre circumstances. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's all very exciting. You know, obviously there's a lot of horrible things going on in the world. And um, uh, we're, you know, we're luckily not, you know, been hit by that too badly on a personal level. But um, yeah, the business has been something that we have had to focus on quite heavily in the last three weeks um, for reasons that we obviously could never project. So just in case anyone doesn't know you and Go Agency and, and, and all that, you be worth sort of just covering that, like who you are and what you do. Sure. So we are, uh, we're 120 people strong. Uh, we've been going for just shy of five years. We are an influencer marketing business, but effectively 
um, and thanks to COVID-19, um, are quickly pivoting into being just a general social business, social media agency. Um, we're, yeah, we're 120 strong. We've got three offices worldwide, London, Singapore, and uh, New York. And effectively, we, we pair influencers to the biggest brands in the world, create advertising campaigns. Um, we aren't, we, uh, yeah, we're not a talent agency. We don't represent the talent that uh, we use. That's not our model. Our model is a neutral one and one that we use the right influencers for the right brands on the right campaigns. And if that means that uh, we use new people that we've never used before or people that we do use uh, in previous campaigns, um, then so be it. But we try and use data as much as we possibly can uh, in order to inform that. And performance data is very, very vital for that, understanding how people are going to perform on a cost per level. So if we pay this person £10, are they going to generate a 1,000 impressions, 2,000 impressions, and therefore what's the cost per impression? And then that goes right the way down to clicks. And then obviously conversions as well for, for brands that are looking to make sales. Um, yeah, we work with huge blue chip um, Fortune um, 500 brands, uh, you know, uh, from the biggest technology brands in the world to the biggest uh, FMCG and supermarket brands. Um, very, very lucky uh, in, in how fast we've grown and how much brands have put trust into us in the last few years. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm only 25, so... You know, it's been a steep learning curve for me in the last five years since we started the business when I was 20. Um, mm. And, you know, not just a steep learning curve in terms of looking after brands and coming up with amazing advertising campaigns, but also a steep learning curve in order to look after and be responsible for so many human beings uh, under one roof. And that's, um, you know, that's something that you know, has been, you know, even more uh, under the spotlight uh, in the last in the last three weeks because people have had to come first and it's been a really, really important time for us to focus in on how we can protect our people um, rather than just our profit. And who would be a good example of, you know, people, you know, influencers that you've matched with brands? Um, influencers, I mean, really depends, right? We're, we're, we're not a celebrity agency. We don't, um, we don't look after us or we don't try and pair celebrities with brands. So, you know, people might think of influencers and in the David Beckham's and the Ronaldo's and the Beyonce's and the uh, Kim Kardashian's. You know, that's not really our model. Our model is to use people who are uh, social media famous. Now, that could be on Instagram, it could be on Twitch, it could be on YouTube, it could be on Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook, whatever it might be. It doesn't really matter about the platform. They're completely platform agnostic. Um, so that could be when we paired uh, Casey Neistat, the biggest um, vlogger in the world on YouTube, over. Um, 10 million, uh, 10 million subscribers to a brand like Formula E, or it could be when we paired KSI to, to multiple brands uh, across the years, or um, a Zoella or someone like that, someone who's become famous online. Now we don't just deal with the people that you might have heard of before, like those three names, and uh, we also deal with people who have 10,000, 15,000, 50,000 followers on these platforms too. And a, a key message to that really is. The fact that we believe that niche content and niche audiences at scale is the way forward. And when you break that down, it really does make sense. And why influencers are so powerful in that is because, you know, niche content is content that's being uh, created um, 
you know, in, in a way that targets a niche audience, which might be an interest group. And social media has, has been an incredible tool in order to break down those interests that people never thought were that popular uh, because they lived in a bubble. And now if you go onto the, into the web uh, and into social media, you can, you can find the most ridiculous communities and interest groups um, that have formed around things that you never believed would be uh, something that m a mass participation of people would actually be interested in. Like we, we do campaigns in gardening, uh, which is obviously a pastime that lots of people uh, take up. But would you actually think that people talk about it that much and um, give recommendations and things like that online? And yes, they do. And there's a huge community there um, uh, to, to tap into. And that's obviously fantastic for the likes of supermarkets and homeware stores and, um, and things like that. So, you know, it's about niche content uh, to niche audiences. And the at scale part of it is, you know, rather than just doing it with one person who has 15,000 followers, why not do it with 100 people who have uh, 15,000 followers and get out to that audience at scale as best you possibly can with a, with a niche message? And how in the world did you sort of end up here, right? Because I don't know if it's something you can really train for, study for, you know, anything like that. And it's a super new thought as an industry in terms of the lifetime of industry. So, you know, what were the sort of stepping stones to, to get you here and what gave you the knowledge and I guess give you the authority to, to, to be able to comment on these things and guide clients? It's a good question. Um, so I started my first business when I was 16. That business was in football blogging. I was, I'm was i a massive football fan and I, uh, I understood back in, when was it, 2011, 2012, that again, that kind of community aspect is really, really important. I'm a Liverpool fan and uh, I had a Twitter account and I was talking to the same people every single day on Twitter about one thing and that one thing was Liverpool. And I was talking to people that I'd never met before um, and I was talking to them because I believe that they also have an authority on Liverpool Football Club and what was going on. Um, so I, I got that. And then off the back of that, I had an idea. Well, why can't I bring all these people together that I talk to every day about one thing, create a single destination, a, um, a website, and use that to host uh, these people's opinions all at the same time through podcasts, through articles, and things like that. So that was, that was my way of breaking into this, uh, into this market because I quickly built the biggest Liverpool website in the world just because I had so many of the thought leaders in that space pushing towards that one destination. And then I scaled that out, basically created a franchise model in blogging where any club's fan group could put together a, a website in exactly the same way where they brought all the big hitters from all the different um, uh, thought leaders of that interest group and, and came together to build a website. And uh, that became a business that, that, that was quite successful and became the biggest football blogging network in the UK. Uh, what was it called? It was called Fresh Press. And our key thing was, I got rejected by the Bournemouth Echo when I was 16 um, because I wanted to be a, I wanted to be a journalist. Um, that was off the back of I wanted to be a footballer two years before that, realized I couldn't do that. And I, I kind of sat down one evening and understood what my life goals were, were based around. And I came to the, the conclusion of two different things. One, I wanted to be mates with footballers. And two, I wanted to be a... I wanted to be able to go to football matches for free. They were the only two things that I cared about in my whole career. Um, so the only job that I could really boil down because I was quite academic uh, and I had good ability to write was a football journalist because I got to be mates of footballers and I got to go to football games for free. So 
that was how I uh, came into the understanding that that was where I wanted to go. And, and um, yeah, we grew that, that business out. It's called Fresh Press. We sold that business. Um, but that kind of made me understand that this interest group, this community-based um, marketing or audience development was, was very, very powerful. Uh, I then went to go and work for a, for a company called Sport Lobster, which is a sports social network um, in 2012, 2015. And effectively, that business, we, we tried to be Facebook for sports fans, and we raised $20 million in order to do that. Um, I was one of the first five in that business. Uh, we grew to 70 people inside two years. Like I said, we raised $20 million, and we spent money on every single different form of advertising in order to drive user acquisition to our to our platform. And um, uh, it was... It was at that moment that we realized that the best form of marketing for digital acquisition was through social and further through um, uh, through influencers. We spent ten pounds on one of my mates from back in the day um, on his Twitter. He had a hundred thousand followers, and he drove two thousand downloads. And we had Cristiano Ronaldo as our headline ambassador, the biggest sports personality in the world, one hundred twenty million Facebook fans at that point. And he also drove 2,000 followers, uh, 2,000 downloads, sorry. And that was a kind of wake-up call because we paid Cristiano Ronaldo a hell of a lot more than £10, but he drove exactly the same amount of value as my mate who had 100,000 followers on Twitter. So it was the kind of that moment where we're like, right, there's something in this. We scaled that inside Sport Lobster, and then we left as a three. Myself, head of social, um, Nick, head of marketing, and Aaron, who was the co-founder of that business, we all left together went equal partners into GOAT and then we scaled it from there and, and kind of understood the, the premise that surely if we can push thousands and thousands and thousands of uh, users into a terrible product, which is what Sportlobster was, it was a terrible product. Great premise, terrible product. If we can do that with, with influencers, imagine if we can actually promote great products. Imagine if we can promote Coca-Cola and Apple and Beats by Dre and you know, um, little and products that actually people love to use and love to be a part of. What if we can do that through through influencers too? And then that's how the that's how the business grew. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. The Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast is also brought to you by BDO, the trusted accountancy and advisory firm. As the finance experts in hospitality, BDO have the experience and the insight to provide solid foundations for your business's future growth. BDO really are the go-to team to help your hospitality business succeed. If you're in need of a dedicated transactional team bolstered with corporate finance, audit and tax services, talk to BDO, who've got the right expertise, knowledge and experience to drive your restaurant or bar's business throughout their full life cycle. As thought leaders across the sector, BDO offers commercial and technical updates specifically tailored to restaurants and bars, including their annual hospitality reports. BDO also have a well-established network in the industry that spans across finance directors, suppliers and advisors, and they are always willing to use this to their clients and their contacts' advantage. Get in touch today at bdo.co.uk to chat about how they can help take your hospitality business to the top. And please say that I sent you. And then it was the three musketeers, and then what? You know, that to 120 
just makes me feel quite nauseous and queasy. <laughs> so what, what were the first steps in, in sort of starting out the business? Yeah, good question. So I, I had, uh, we already knew who our first hire would be. Um, that first hire was, was always going to be Frankie. Um, Frankie was my first, um, let's call it employee in the, in the football business. Uh, he ran my Arsenal franchise, uh, which was the second website that we, that we launched. Um, then he became my number two at Sport Lobster in the summer of 2014, uh, during the, uh, Brazil World Cup. And then once we, once we left, uh, Sport Lobster and, you know, he'd already grown, you know, he was, he's the same age as me. So he's 25 and he lives with me as well. Um, uh, but, Some guy. but I'd never met him before. Uh, I hired him in 2014. So I'd, I'd, been, I'd known him for two years before I met him, uh, which for a lot of people that feels very weird, but we're both 18 and we're both doing, doing things online. Um, and, uh, so yeah, we hired him. He was, you know, super smart, got the social space, knew how it worked. Um, and he was our first hire. Effectively, we, the, the three of us, Aaron, Nick and I have very, very different skill sets and we appreciate each other because of, we have very, very different skill sets. We know that each of us have, um, different roles within the business in order to make things happen. Um, I am very advertising um creative and execution focused um aaron is very strategy and sales focused and nick cook is just the most he's just the most lovable likable bloke you could ever meet and therefore he was always the guy the clients love to speak to so he was always our client guy um the guy who would make them feel comfortable make them feel at home which in an advertising business is probably the most important role because you need to make sure these brands who are spending, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of of advertising dollars each year uh, with us, spending spending it with a lot of comfort. And uh, Nick was always very, very good at that. Uh, so that was that was kind of the, the makeup of the three. And because of that, we had effectively when we started two people in more sales driven roles, which was Aaron and Nick, and I was in the execution. I was actually the one doing it uh, and pulling off the campaign. So we needed to level that out as our first hire. Uh, and Frankie was that that person because he uh, fulfilled the same role as me. And then we scaled out from there. Uh, we got to 10 people within probably about nine months. Um, we've been profitable from, from, the, from day one as well. Uh, we, we didn't raise any money until year three uh, when we went to, to internationally expand. Um, so we, we did everything bootstrap, lean, um, you know, it's, it's just the most fun bit when you're counting the cash, every single penny matters. And it's, you know, we didn't personally put any money into the business either. We literally just ran it from profit from day one. Uh, and you know, it's, it's been, <laughs> it's been a lot of fun. There's been some hairy moments. Don't get me wrong. There's been some moments yeah. where you, uh, you, you think about whether or not this is the right thing you should be doing, but I can't think of a world where I'd work for someone else again. Completely unemployable. Yeah, I am. I am completely unemployable. I was unemployable <laughs> when I was employed. <laughs> yeah, I was well, completely unemployed when I was employed. Well, I, I think sometimes you've just got that gene in you, you know, that you're just like, you know what, I, I need to just do my own thing. And I mean, it's incredible, you know, what you guys have done already. You know, never mind what you're going to do. Um, you know, which, which is which is quite astonishing. So, thinking about, um, you know, goat and the name and the the colorways and the brand and all that stuff. How did that all come about? Right. So the honest, 
the honest answer to both the name and the color are the, the name is greatest of all time. Um, we're like I said, Nick and I uh, were in the marketing team, which was at Sport Lobster, which was about probably about fifteen people um, in the entire business. And you've got to remember this: this is it's not pre PC world uh, or pre diversity world, but you know certainly in the early stages of people being very very understanding of the fact that you need a diverse workforce, etc. And we were in sport, and we were a startup, aggressive startup, and there was seventy people in the business and 69 of them were guys um so it was a very sort of hostile uh, masculine um startup vibe which you can imagine is you know and also we had a lot of money to burn right we had 20 million dollars so everything everything <laughs> everything came together as a very much sort of a, like a movie script a version of uh, of events but what what that really entailed is that you know catchphrases and um, colloquialisms and uh, speech patterns and insults came as and when you know daily life occurred. Uh, so goat became something of a of a of uh, like a a pat on the back. Really, the word goat became a good thing in the office. Uh, once we we started working with the American sports companies and governing bodies in in Sport Lobster with the NFL and the NBA we realized what GOAT meant. So it was greatest of all time. Um, we got told it by uh, the guys of the NFL about Tom Brady and then uh, the guys of the NBA about Michael Jordan. And uh, and then we started to call people in the office. If they did something good, they did something GOAT. Uh, and then we spun it. So if someone did something not so good, um, we'd call them out and we'd, we'd say that that was woke, worst of all time. <laughs> and then those two things just became a thing that you said for three months. Everyone was being called GOAT or woke. And that was it. And then when uh, when Nick and I went and uh, went for a Nando's on High Street Kensington, we sat down and we said we've got to come up with a name for our new business. And it was the only word that really came into our into our cognizance because that was all we were talking about at that point. So that's how goat came around. And then we've subsequently learned that uh, it was actually the year of the goat that we registered the business in and things like that. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so th- there's actually some nice connotations, and um, it was actually also the year that. Do you remember when uh, the like goats were falling out of trees and climbing trees and falling down slides and things like that on Facebook? And you, yeah. like, you could shout at a goat, and it would like scare and faint. You know, all those videos are coming out on Facebook that year as well. So we quite like that. Um, so that was that was why we were called Goat, uh, and we didn't actually tell anyone that that's the reason. Well, that it was called Greatest of All Time. Um, for the first two years because we didn't want people to think we were arrogant. Um, and, you know, when you hadn't really done anything properly, uh, it was very difficult to prove yourself great all the time. Now we're quite happy to stand by it. Um, but in the early days, it was very, very difficult for us to go, yeah, we're the greatest of all time. Why, why wouldn't we be? And uh, people to, to call us out and go, well, yeah, you're only three people in a small dark room. Um, so that was, that was very important so at the start we, we always told people yeah it's just because we like goats and um uh you know we came from a business called sport lobster so we thought it was uh it was cool to have another animal name and that was how that's how we kind of trundled through it uh, but now we're very <laughs> honest with the fact that it's great all time um with the orange which has become very sort of valuable for us actually um people very much understand that that orange is goat orange um is because we kind of looked at the whole social media landscape and just realized everything was blue. It doesn't matter what, literally everything that has to do with social media is blue. 
Twitter was blue, Facebook was blue. Um, and every other app that was launching through the social was blue or like a, a take on blue. Even Vine was like a greeny blue. Um, so that was, that was kind of the reason we went, okay, well, what's the opposite of every other color that, that people are using? And orange was the only color that we couldn't think of anything to do with social media that had at that point. And then we just went, all right, we'll just take that. And then that kind of became our motif. So now I say that the, uh, the three most famous brands, uh, to have orange as their color are Sainsbury's, EasyJet and, and Go Easy. <laughs> good, good, good. And then, um, what about sort of, you know, you're saying you were profitable from day one and all that stuff. So, project one, first few projects, you know, what was the process? How were you pitching? What were you telling people you were going to do for them? Good question. So, yeah, we we started in we started in sport because it's what we knew. It's how we knew how to deliver. We knew the people in it. Um, we we knew the influence of pricing we need the influence of delivery because we'd already done it at sport lobster we already knew how many impressions you'd have to you'd have to get in order to deliver a click through and all the different parts of the funnel so we took that knowledge um and that understanding in order to to do that and then we needed to go and find a client uh we we found a a small gambling business called predict the six which was uh, a weekly gambling product uh, which allowed you to uh, pick six anytime goal scorers in the Premier League that weekend. And if you got all six right, then it would pay you uh, like £10,000. Um, and it was a pound to play. It was like a lottery. So, yeah, we, we found that. And we just drove a load of users to that to that product. We got them a, a load of awareness very, very, very quickly. And they were spending about five to £10,000 a weekend with us in order to get new users to the site. Um, so that was that was kind of our first product. So we just found someone. We guaranteed them, you know, what we do the the level of uh, the level of delivery, and then we did it. And that was kind of a, a mantra for us. We we came out of a business where we spent millions of pounds on agencies that didn't really do what they said they were going to do. That was something that really really irked us. And to be clear to the people listening, like we the three of us have never worked at an agency. We don't know how an agency works. We still don't know how an agency works. We know how <laughs> our agency works. But we have no idea how other agencies operate. We still don't understand how agencies get paid for what they 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 don't do, and they do, and they said they were going to do that. That is baffling to us. Um, and we 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 went through that at Sport Lobster, where agencies came to us and said, "Yeah, we can do this, this, and this." And then they came back to us from the report, and it's like, "Yeah, well, we can do this, this, and this next time." It's like, "No, no, no. You you said you could do this, this, and this now." So our whole our whole cell, right the way back from when it was three of us, right the way until we're now 120 and global offices and different offerings and services. If we say we're going to do something, we're going to do it. Now, you don't have to pay us unless we do it um, because they're, they're the rules, right? That's how, that's how life works. You say you're going to do something, you've got to do it. Integrity is so, so, so important for us as a business. And it's kind of why, and, you know, I, you know, I hope that anyone who's heard about us or has heard about someone who's worked with us on the whole our reputation is very, very good because of that, really. We're, we're happy to, to make far less margin. We're happy to make a loss in order to deliver what we said we we're going to do because it's so important to keep reputation. And we didn't do any PR. We did no, uh, no marketing of ourselves for the first three years of the business. Literally, you cannot find anything about us for the first three years um, because we didn't want to blow our own trumpet. We wanted the work to to, to be our reputation we wanted the work to be what people talked about um and how good we were and how honest we were and how transparent we were and then 
three years in, we decided that was the time that we built enough case studies. We'd had amazing brand connections. Um, we'd done some amazing campaigns and we, you know, built a, a reputation where, you know, 60% of our inbound uh, leads were, were coming through referrals and word of mouth uh, purely because we were doing what we said they were going to do. And that just seemed to be like a completely new arrow through the marketing industry. Um, and, um, and then we turned on the vlog three years into the business, which was kind of like our, our massive step into, into marketing the business, which, you know, it's kind of become brand goat in itself. Episode 300. Yeah. We just released episode 300. So Congratulations. yeah, it's honestly been the most mad journey. And the, the exciting thing about it is I can go back and watch it like a, yeah. like a Netflix documentary. Um, and see what happens. So yeah, for people who don't know, we, as an agency, we basically, um, create a mini documentary every single day of our working lives. Um, we have a we have a cameraman who goes around the office, um, you know, in, in a pre COVID-19 world, he went around the office and asked people questions, saw what people were doing and, and kind of made a mini fly on the wall documentary of, uh, of how an agency runs every single day. And the reason we did that is because the, the influencer industry a year ago, 18 months ago was getting so much flack for being fraudulent and trans non-transparent and, um, like a wild west cowboys, uh, industry. And we're like, well, it's not really like that anymore. It was three or four years ago, but we're not going to let the media dictate the story. We're going to give you the story. We're going to give you the real truth. We're going to show you what an agency's like working here. We're going to show you the campaigns. We're going to talk about the clients. We're going to show you the people that work here. We're going to talk about what we can and can't do. You know, all these different things. We'll just tell you this is this is how life works. And um yeah, we we've we've recorded a a, a docu a mini documentary. So it's about four to eight minutes long every single evening at six till seven PM or whatever. It goes out on LinkedIn and YouTube. Um and yeah, it's, it's a, I don't know. It's, it's hard to talk about. It's just, it is just what happens. We don't stage anything. We don't do anything for the cameras. It's just, that is what our business is like. And it's been a lot of fun, a lot of fun. It's, it's phenomenal, right? And there probably isn't many days go by that I don't reference you to someone to say, this is what you need to be doing. Right. You know, um, just like, it's so great for a business you know i feel like wagamama should do it pret should do it i agree some amazing 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 characters oh yeah it, w- it would just be so exciting you know if you were following because you know take the best brands maybe i mean maybe the lesser brands could make something out of it but if you took the best ones the nandos the prets the the shums that you know if you really got a flavor of what was going on every single day. You'd have your favourites. You, you know, I, I just think it would be groundbreaking for the hospitality industry for someone to do it really well. Yeah, I totally agree. I think what's what was the most revealing for us is that anyone who'd ever done the uh, sort of personal branding, vlogging part, had always done it themselves about themselves. Yeah. So, you know, and I, and I've got a lot of time for people that have done it. The Gary V model is, is very, very successful. Um, but one re- reservation we had about the Gary V model uh, and kind of focusing it all on one person was the fact that we're an agency that um, clients want to buy from and they want to buy from multiple different people. And we need to be, we need the ability to scale that message. And mm-hmm. 
we are three founders, not a single founder. And, yeah. uh, and that kind of meant that immediately it had to be at least three of us. And then we're like, okay, well, why, why can't we just open it up to the floor? We've got some fun characters. We've got some people that, um, talk very well and know our business inside out. And to be honest, some people who know our business better than us because they do it every single day and they talk about what actually is going on on the, on the shop floor. So we found some amazing characters and we were, you know, we, we hired this guy called Matt, um, to be our videographer and we hired him on the, on the Friday afternoon and we started vlogging on the, on the Monday. Um, we literally just gave him a camera and said, work it out. And, uh, yeah, the exciting thing off the back of it was <laughs> he became a complete star. Uh, yeah. and, uh, and yeah, he, he is, he is genuinely a real star of the future. I, I, my, our only worry about Matt is, is when a TV company comes and takes him. Um, yeah. he's that good. And, uh, you know, he, he's become the voice of the, of the agency really. And the, the, the movement or well, the movement for us was, okay, at the start, we thought we had to be the voice of the industry, the authority. This is how we're going to work. And we realized that quite quickly, the better way to do it is for Matt to be the voice of the layman, to be the guy that everyone else is watching, not understanding yeah. what we're talking about, not understanding what's happening, not understanding the jargon that we're using, the, uh, the acronyms that are being said, you know, and breaking it down for people whilst allowing us to seem like the authority. And it's been very, very successful for us. Yeah, we think we've tracked three to four million pounds worth of revenue directly from the blog in the last 12 wow. it's nuts That's people incredible. love it it's cost us to be full, full disclosure it's cost us about one hundred and twenty thousand pounds to do um 300 episodes um yeah but it's generated three to four million so you take a, an average margin of i don't know 15 percent gross once you pay all the staff you know it's significant um profit return it's probably three or four x profit so it's very very good well, yeah. I mean, you might not even get those odds in a casino, right? No, exactly. It's, it's honestly so good. Now, uh, also, what's full disclosure is the fact that we didn't see any uplift for the first four months. Nothing. Zero. Yeah. Um, but in the last three months, we've probably seen one and a half million pounds. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. And also, it's fantastic for togetherness for our business. And um, in, in this time, especially in the COVID-19 world, um, you know, the, the communication between people and seeing what the business is doing and how people are coping is, is very, very valuable to us in, a, in an internal level as well as external. Yeah. No, it was great. And when I had a tour around your office and then um, met a lot of people, it was late at night, but I met quite a few people. And then you were, you know, showing me like some crazy things like soft drinks that, did you not put out something on social media to say, send in your soft drinks and we'll rate them or something? What yeah, we, we did uh, <laughs> It was a great idea from our, our, our uh, people manager, Michael. He said, okay, well, we've got an empty. We just had a fridge delivered, a drinks fridge delivered. He put a picture of an empty drinks fridge out on LinkedIn and said, we will feature a whole segment on the vlog. And about, so a total of about five to 8,000 people a day watch the vlog now um, across LinkedIn and YouTube, et cetera. Um, so it's relatively engaged. It's consistent and people really, really love it. Um, and he put a, a, a picture of a, an empty drinks fridge up and said, any brands who just want to send uh, our staff some soft drinks or any drinks uh, to fill our fridge, we'll do a full segment on the vlog of, uh, of our staff rate blind testing the drinks. And then the winner of the blind taste test 
we'll have we'll buy a full stocked fridge worth of it for the entire business and we had about we had about 12 or 13 brands send us like loads of drinks we couldn't believe it um and yeah we 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 stuck to our you know our integrity like we do with everything else and and we we did a, a taste test with like four or five staff where they blindfolded and, and talked about the different tastes and they had to rate it and then the winner we we bought you know, a full a full fridge worth of, of that drink and supported those small businesses. I think what's really, really important is the fact that they were um, either startup drink companies or like not the classic Coca-Cola's, Fanta's, et cetera. It was, it was businesses that were trying to break through. So yeah, ugly drinks. I mean, even the, the guys who make Iron Brew sent us loads of stuff. Who, who are those guys? Oh yeah, bar. I remember oh, yeah. the Iron oh, so They didn't send us Iron Brew. They specifically tried to do it to promote um, other drinks. So like, their uh, their sodas and things like that. Was it the cream soda or cream something soda, like that? Yeah. Ah, yeah, delicious. Yeah, no, I remember those. Can they're, they're super cool cans actually. They yeah, they, yeah. they, they branded from the usual. Hi, Alex from Engage here, and thanks for tuning in to the Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Each week, we'll be bringing you a great tip to supercharge your own digital marketing. And this week's comes from Shree, our head of SEO gives his expert insight into making the best first impression. A lot of time goes into creating killer brands with impactful messaging, but are your customers seeing it in search? What do people see when they search for your brand on Google? Ideally, they see a title that has an impactful message, perhaps highlighting your core offering or a seasonal promotion. Next, the description should expand on this title and include an encouraging call to action for users. Poorly optimized homepages, including having homepage in the title, or even worse, Google using your cookie banner as the description, simply because nothing else is defined. Remember, your homepage doesn't necessarily need to be keyword optimized like location and service pages. Since a lot of traffic it receives will be brand-based, we recommend you highlight this information. If you need help getting your brand more visible online and the edge on your competition, then simply head over to engageinteractive.co.uk forward slash podcast where you can see how we've helped some of the UK's most ambitious and successful hospitality brands with their own high-performance digital marketing strategies. Cheers, and enjoy the rest of the episode. So I'm just thinking about um, hospitality and, and, and stuff like that, and I know we've kind of got a set of questions here you know, from Gabby, but I usually end up sort of hearing from them and, and coming back to them. But just what popped into my head was, you know, what the, the listeners would get some great value from is just seeing what you're seeing which is which hospitality brands have you seen you know on social using influencers that type of thing have you seen any you know sort of doing a good job and and also what tips would you give people to you know sort of start off on that journey in in a COVID-19 world or before that I, I would go well I would do a third one which is maybe post post this you know um so i think i think what's really exciting in the current climate and probably going into the future is the fact that influencers are they're the they're the full package right they're they are a walking talking single man production team um so they can shoot they can star and they can edit everything and they could do it all from home so during the covid19 situation we're in, uh, we're in a fantastic place as an industry because actually, um, you know, in a world which needs cameramen and film producers and 
directors and lighting assistants and all these things to be in a close proximity to shoot something in a film studio. Actually, we have that ability to do that with an influencer at home uh, to a high quality. And people are doing that every single day anyway for their own YouTube and Instagram, etc. So influencers play a really, really strong part in this next development of, of digital marketing um, and social media marketing. Um, what's also uh, exciting is the fact that um, influencers can have a genuine tone of voice for their audience. And that tone of voice can differ uh, for, for lots of different reasons and in lots of different ways uh, to make the most of it. Um, and I think brands in a world where they're quite cautious and scared about what they can and can't say, where they have an actual person uh, talking on their behalf in a, in a positive way to their audience who care about what that person says, it's a really, really nice release. And also brands can only have one message. They can only have one tone of voice. They can only have one uh, point of view. Whereas if you engage multiple influencers who you know all stand for for similar things to what the brand stands for and stays true and authentic to what that brand's voice is, they can actually have lots of different tones of voice, um, which is really really important. I think in this world where you know that kind of static one uh, one tunneled approach is uh, is less interesting for the general consumer. And actually, what we want is lots of different people's thoughts and opinions on it in their different scenarios. And I think. The different use cases is very, very important when we're talking about products. And I think if you're a, a hospitality business or a food and drink business, you know, people drink, eat, visit, um, and want to be treated in lots of different ways for lots of different reasons. And uh, if one brand talks about one way that you can be treated because that's just how they see it and how they want to um, make it perceived, you know, it's, it's, it's quite difficult to, to appease all the different potential customer types that you have. Whereas if you find lots of different types of influencers who all have different audiences because of different reasons, you know, that might be because you've got a disability influencer. It might be because you've got a, um, you know, certain uh, influencer from a certain religious background, uh, an influencer with a different dietary requirement, you know, all sorts of different people can have different points of view about one thing. And I think influencers allow you to do that in in a way that we've never really seen before at scale. Because effectively, what they are is just word of mouth redefined for the 2020s. Um, and that's seriously, seriously exciting for us as a business. Um, so, yeah, if I was going to be doing this right now and how we can adapt, um, I'd be looking at what the different stories you can tell as one brand talking um, to a wide customer base through lots of different people's experiences through influencers. Um, how can you create experiences for influencers in order to showcase the best of your brand, the best of your experience? Um, and how can you give back? How can you give genuine value to the brand's uh, customers in the right way? Uh, how can you give uh, money can't buy experiences? How can you give discounts? How can you give um, a way for a, a, an an influencer's audience to get something they wouldn't necessarily be able to get just genuinely from the brand. I think that's what's really, really exciting here. And that value could just be information. I think in a world that we're currently living in, in this COVID-19 lockdown scenario, is that information has become the greatest value. Uh, Information and entertainment, actually. Information and entertainment have become the two greatest values um, that we could possibly have as, as the human race. We're sat inside... We're desperate for information about what's going on and we're desperate to keep entertained. We're all stuck. 
in a world that we've never really been in before, you know, a, a world that we were used to be um, so ungrateful for, which was just the ability to roam free amongst the, the society and the, and the environment that we live in. Now we can't do that. Um, and now we're feeling so grateful for all the different parts of entertainment mix that we can actually be a part of, you know, be it streaming sites, music, um, TV has obviously seen a huge boom again. Uh, the news, you know, if it, if it combines two of those different things, entertainment and information, has seen a massive spike in, in attention. So what are the different things that brands can do in order to leverage both uh, entertainment and information in this world and then also in the, in the world going forward? Because I think lots of different brands, marketers, and, and just general people believe that there's going to be a return to normal. And I'm very, very worried um, that those people are going to get left behind quite quickly because I genuinely do not believe there's going to be a return to normal. Um, and um, I just, I'm worried that people are going to just going to be resting on their laurels and aren't going to pivot as fast as they should because they're just hoping that things are going to go back to how they were. Now, some things will. And, you know, some things in, in certain ways will actually be fast forward and be better for the businesses than, than they were before this scenario. But there's lots of things that will just change forever. The office working experience will change forever. The hospitality industry is going to change forever. You know, lots of these things are going to change in a way that we thought were going to change over the course of the next five years. They're going to change over the course of the next five months. I think people need to be prepared for that. And obviously, influences are, are a part of that, too. I think that document you put together was devastatingly good. And I've shared it far and wide. And, you know, and even if you're listening to it now, you know, do have a look. Um, you know, I'll post it another time. I will put it in the show notes. And um, that was one of the graphs that really stood out to me, where I just was like, that fast forwarding thought was a big one, you know. And I think also people have got, this has been videos moment, I suppose, in a lot of ways, whether it is, video messaging or video meetings or, or taking videos and just jumping in with both feet because, you know, there's no there's not much fear or what will they think anymore. You know, I think it's just people are, are maybe feeling a little bit of self-liberation as well to just, they, you know, it's, it's what they have to do to talk to each other. Yeah, it's a really weird one. Um, I think we're also finding as, as people, especially busy people and running businesses and doing things, that we have a lot more free time than we possibly thought we could have ever uh, i'm certainly got a lot more free time than I, than I had six weeks ago um during the day because you know my normal office life people just come over to me um and ask me questions just because i'm there whereas now you obviously have to book in a call and i have to be on something it's it's a completely different dynamic um mm. and i've got a lot more time to do do things and, and complete tasks rather than get through half halfway through a task it might make us more productive and more focused you know to actually preserve our own time to get these things done that we need to get done exactly there's so many positives i think the greatest positive of all of this is going to be kindness and gratitude um, yeah i think people are, are going to be far kinder to each other um and i uh i also believe that um we're going to take for uh, we're going to be far more grateful and not take for granted um, the things that we have as much, especially in this Western, you know, you know, incredibly first world society that we live in, especially, you know, I'm sat here in London in a um, lovely block of flats and I never really thought of it like that. And now I'm, you know, far more grateful than I, than I was again, six weeks ago. 
I'm very grateful. Yeah. I'm in a nice block of flats and I feel very sympathetic for people who are, you know, even people with kids in this situation are, you know, in a much worse situation than me because they, they mm. have something else to worry about. I also hope there'll be less tolerance for non-kindness. Yeah, agreed. People are going to call it out. I think so. And and I think there's, there's, there's been a bit for, you know, a lot of us that are in the pressure cooker of business a lot. And, you know, I've just been really grateful of the world hitting, I mean, obviously none of what's going on, but um, just the world hitting the pause button for a second. You know, it's just a bit like, right, I can breathe and just have a think about, you know, without all the other stuff that's clawing at you usually, like, what what do you want to do? You know, where do you want to stick the ball? Um, and that, that's that been really great for me. But weirdly, it's not like I've never been busier, but the last two or three weeks has been still jam-packed, but no income, but I'm trying to do as much free content as I can to to share with others and, and hopefully help them and, and get them inspired and keep them busy and motivated, you know? Yeah, I think I, th- I, th- I think this it's just going to change quite a lot. Everything's going to change quite a lot, and we're not quite prepared for how much it's going to change yet. Uh, we all think that this is just going to be part of um, our short-term situation where we're going to sit at home doing things and talk to people on Zoom calls and things like that. I think everything's just going to change, and we're 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 just kind of letting that all go past us right now. Yeah, no, it's it's. Um... It's uh, an interest, and I don't think anyone truly knows. No, you know, nobody, I think it, nobody knows. We'll, we'll, the only we'll thing that is certain is that things will change. That's the only thing that's certain. But what yeah. will change, to what extent, I've got absolutely no idea. I can only make my best guess. But the the only fact is, change is and uh, will happen, um, and you've got to be ready for that. And we all wish we had Zoom shares. Yes, exactly. <laughs> From Supersonic Inc. This is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. The Supersonic Marketing Podcast is also brought to you by Atenzi, the world's leading gamified simulation training provider. Even before the COVID-19 crisis, a LinkedIn study found that more than half of learning and development professionals were looking at remote learning solutions. Given hospitality's new reality, how do you plan to train your staff to accelerate your business out of these tough times? With Atenzi's gamified simulation training, you can accurately recreate the situations and environments that your people will face day in, day out to engage and rapidly develop their abilities. Forget static e-learning, dusty training manuals and passive videos and embrace training's new era with Atenzi. Find more information and get started today at attenzi.com forward slash restaurants. Thinking about, um, you know, the, the database and all the influencers that you work with and, and all that stuff, you know, how did you go about that? And also, you know, the data and insights and, and the process there, because again, I think a lot of people in hospitality are under-resourced and, maybe, you know, haven't had the training or, or, or the, the benefit of the experience where, you know, there's a lot of kind of one-dimensional social media happening, even if they are working with influencers, but they're maybe not doing this 360 of, you know, really thinking about the segmentation of influencers you talked about earlier and also getting right into the data of what's working and what's not. Yeah, I think when we first started, uh 
the, the business, we we got how much data was important in order to make decisions. And I think that's what's really, really critical here is um, understand their data and the audience and actually what you're trying to achieve from the start is fundamental in order to achieve any sort of success in the first place. Um, so uh, for us, when we're collecting data, we're looking at every single part of the funnel in order to understand and collate the things that make a difference and the variables that make a difference um, to a successful or non-successful campaign. And we're, we're also very, very open to failure. I think lots of advertising companies and lots of companies in general are quite scared of things not working and therefore um, are very slow to move because they're, they're, they're so considered as to exactly what that looks like. Uh, in order to for them to press go and 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 start, we're we're you know probably you know sometimes good sometimes bad, but we're far faster to move, far more agile, far more flexible, and far more risk taking entrepreneur style uh, business that we work in. Um, and in order to to do that, uh, we we are willing to to make some mistakes and and also uh, you know some things won't work. And marketing isn't a perfect science. You can't go to an agency and accept. Uh, that everything is going to be perfect and going to work exactly how um, it was it was planned to. Now, everyone can put in place exactly what they've agreed, but the result is is you know not guaranteed. Um, but learning from those mistakes is just as important as learning from the from the successes and understanding about the variables that made that. Was it the call to action that changed? Was it the time of day that changed? Was it the day that changed? Was it the uh, what was on the news that that day changed like these things massively affect it when we started in sport it made a big difference as to whether or not there was a huge transfer um or huge piece of football news that went out in the same uh three hour period than when we posted a betting link it literally made a huge difference as to whether or not people deposited because they were so busy focusing and talking to their mates about one thing they couldn't be focused on doing another thing we also found that you know in the 15 minutes in the lead up to uh, any football match uh, was the best time to convert anybody um, when it comes to football betting. Again, um, I use football betting just because it's the most transactional um, possible uh, industry, really, and then something that's very, very easy to, to understand. You know, the matches start at 3 p.m. 2.45 p.m. is the most likely time that anyone's going to bet on that match that starts at 3 p.m. Um, and, you know, cramming as much marketing effort into 15 minutes every single week it's very, very tough, but it made it, it's only possible if you're agile, flexible, and you understand the variables uh, at play. Um, and that goes across all the different marketing verticals that we that we work in. Um, and, uh, and and food and drink is is very much part of that too. You know, seasonality is very important for food and drink, um, and making the most of all the different noise. We we've been working with Perna Ricard and, and Malibu for a long, long time now, um, making trying to make them the most talked about. Uh, alcohol brand of the summer uh, that's very very important for them to be like the, the drink of the summer um and working with them on the malibu games over in the caribbean and uh doing some you know awesome stuff with those guys uh and you know for supermarkets in this time you know we, one of our biggest clients is is one of the, the the major supermarkets in the uk and for for them it's been about you know getting the tone right and making sure um they're they're being supportive of local communities at this at this weird time um so that's been an influencer push uh we've also um been working with uber eats uh during during the last few weeks and, and for the last year really but for the last few weeks it's been um 
quite essential for for them to get their marketing message out there because they're giving away you know thousands and thousands of of free uber eats meals and uber themselves are giving away thousands of free rides to, to nhs workers so you know there, there's so many different messages you can get out uh, and it's been very very uh rewarding for us um to, to do that but yeah loads of loads of different food and drink and hospitality brands are doing amazing things with influencers and i think lots of people just think of influencers as a pretty picture on instagram um and you know that, that, that's who the entire pretty much the entire hospitality industry thinks of them as a female and there's a rhetoric going on at the moment which is grinding my gears where people are going you know a couple of ham-fisted influencers have asked for money for reviews at the moment highly sensitive time for everyone yeah um they've, you know they've contacted the brand not the other way around so you know they're they're out of line or whatever but anyway, so it's just a bit like now a lot of people in the you know certainly some of the older folk as well in the hospitality industry like influencers are over um you know how relevant are they and it's just like you are fooling yourself if you think that that and it just shows the, the the lack of understanding of what you were saying earlier on that you know the honesty is transparency and actually the upside yeah to you influence as well choosing and using those influence as well i don't think influencers have ever been more relevant than they are right now they're they're thought leaders they're uh spokespeople for the different interest groups that they represent the audiences they represent this is a great time for influencers um we were with wagamama um, who've seen a huge uplift in um, positive sentiment because of the use of influencers in order to spread their vegan menus when they launch yeah. a vegan um, dish in their on their new menu then then they use influencers vegan influencers um, to push that message and, and to, to talk people through about how it's made what it is um, why they're doing it all these different things it's not just about oh buy this it's you know talking about the story they're the spokespeople for the audience and like I said earlier, they can t- Wagamama can have loads of different tones of voice. You know, Wagamama isn't a vegan or a non-vegan, but you can have vegans and non-vegans talk about a vegan dish in a different way. They could be going with their three vegan friends and they're also trying it, or they're um, they're not going to try it because they're not vegan, but their three friends are going to try it. There's so many different narratives that you can push through um, using what effectively spokespeople for this and yeah the the hospitality industry just needs to accept that it's audience forget forget the people i get it people are egotistical working with people which is what influences are at scale and talent is a fucking nightmare i accept that it's my day job it's a nightmare but think of it like an audience would you if i could tell you that there's a hundred thousand new tv channels launching today and two of them are so fucking relevant to your restaurant. It's unbelievable to the point where they may as well have built and designed the menu themselves. It's a celiac vegan re- um, reviewer. Then obviously you should get them involved in what you're doing. They're a, they're a media channel for an audience that cares about that thing. And if you're that thing, there's a very good chance that they're going to provide a good amount of value. Now, we believe that 80% of influencers do not provide value for the money you spend. 80%, 8-0. That's what we believe, that only 20% provide value. And, and the difficulty, and I completely accept um, the, the feedback from the wider industries, is that, yeah, lots of influencers don't work. And 
lots of think people think they're worth more than they actually are to to create this content and, and tell the story. But there are a lot of people out there who um, create amazing content and uh, and tell an amazing story and drive amazing results. And they're the people you need to focus in on. Finding those people, I wish there was a secret fucking bullet for that. There's not. It's hard work. It's data. It's understanding. And it's trial and error. Um, and we've just been playing the trial and error game for seven years. And so we're a lot further along than, than a lot of other people. But there is no data. There's no platform. There's no software that can tell you whether or not an influencer is going to be influential or not. But um, you can do clever things in order to, to make those things happen. I think, actually, just so we don't lose a point, going back, what you said was brilliant on the on the betting stuff. So always talk about there's two um, industries to watch, you know, and there's a, a, a bit of a gag with it, I suppose, but one's porn and one's, um, one's gambling. Yeah. And no one has got your attention for longer or your money faster yeah. than those sites. So are those two vertical? Now, on the betting side of things, wouldn't it be amazing to go all the way back and actually sit down and look at when is the most likely time of day, time of the week, time of the year that someone's more likely to book and actually strategically deploy marketing around that? No one's thinking like that. No one in, in the hospitality. Yeah, they're just doing it as and when. Where all betting, all, all bookies care about is the three o'clocks. Uh, on Saturday afternoon. That's all they care about. How many yeah. bets can they get in at 3 o'clock Saturday afternoon? And they've done so much work, and we've done so much work with them over the last five years to understand that it really doesn't matter if you push a betting betting offer at 10 a.m. on that Saturday. It, you're going to get such diminished returns for your investment compared to 2.45. 2.45 to 2.55 are prime time betting time. Now, obviously, there's a lot of, uh, ethical and moral questions around betting and um, you know the advertising around it and of course we adhere to all of the, the compliance and the regulations um, and I accept that betting and gambling is not for everybody but it's a great example of uh, of an industry exactly how you said which which thinks way way further ahead than everybody else because they they really do care about the transaction and therefore the data is so so valuable to them in order to make sure that, that transaction happens uh, in order to get the cash. And uh, yeah, they they care to the minute about when when things go live and when things are, are messaged and how they're messaged and the value for them is talking about lots of different offers at the same time uh, in a short period of time and it's very difficult for them, especially if you're talking about uh, let's say a bet three six five who've got one Twitter account to to talk more than a hundred times in that fifteen minute period, whereas influencers allow them to talk a thousand times in that fifteen minute period. Because they have loads of different voices, loads of different accounts, loads of different audiences talking about loads of different things, loads of different offers. You know, that's exactly the same as what it could be for every single brand um, once they find their sort of critical time. Um, and yeah, it's it's fascinating. It's it's been a it's been a really really interesting journey through the betting and gambling uh, markets. Um, you know, in the first five years, obviously the last few weeks that's massively dried up, uh, and all those gambling uh, companies are, are moving to casino and poker. Uh, in order to, yeah. to get their fix, and and that switches massively to 11 p.m. plus. So they they want you to advertise between 11 p.m. and 3 a.m. That's the that's the key time for for driving a new depositing customer for for casino or uh, for poker. So you know it's it's insight like that that makes that makes the marketing world tick around that industry. And then a couple other things just before I need to let you go as well because I know you're dead busy. So um, 
thinking about e-gaming and, and future stuff and all that. Sure. You've been sort of straying into that a little bit, haven't you? Yeah, gaming gaming's obviously, I mean, it's, it's huge. Uh, you don't need me to tell you that, uh, that gaming and esports is, is growing uh, beyond belief over the last uh, few years. Um, I think it's still got a long way to go in order for, for it to hit the, the true mainstream, but it, it, it is interesting. And I think non, um, non-gaming brands getting involved in it now are going to see huge uplift uh, in, in the future. I think um, there's been a lot of brands, gaming brands, who've, who've seen obviously great returns in it. And then there's been some first movers in, in the non-gaming brand space in gaming, uh, which have also seen some fantastic uplift. Uh, in in the first uh, few years of it being uh, yeah, borderline mainstream, that's not called the mainstream, borderline mainstream, um, and yeah, it's it's just a, it's one of those things like you know TikTok a year ago. I was telling everyone to get on TikTok a year ago, and, and no one really listened, and now it's you know the biggest thing in the world. Um, you know the, these these things have a shelf life. They've also got a shelf life when it comes to first movers and the first mover advantage. And uh, weirdly, despite the amount of press and coverage that esports gets, because it's this exciting new thing, actually there's still a huge first mover advantage of, of people um, and brands who can take advantage. And I think, to be honest, the food and drink industry is, is a great example of, a, of an industry that can take advantage of it right now because there's a huge amount of gamers. There's a huge amount of gamers sitting at home, both watching the professionals and playing themselves on, on Twitch that... You know, lots of these guys order takeaways. And I think Domino's did a huge sponsorship of an esports tournament um, or team because obviously the, you know, pizza being delivered is, is a perfect esports uh, sponsorship. So, yeah, I think that it's, a, it's an undervalued asset right now. And I think that it will become more and more utilized in the next 12 months. I think it's really exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm all over it. The thing is, I'm actually tempted to get myself some kind of gaming system at the moment but i'm thinking i better just wait for the ps5 so yeah that, that you've got to wait i mean you've got to wait for one of those new ones i might hang so last couple of things that are a bit more fun as well um you go on amazing trips right and you make me jealous that i don't work for you and i'm not <laughs> young enough to go and enjoy these things as much as i'd like to um so you know you've had monaco you've had la you've had oh what what what's your favorite thing been of late Oh, I have to say my favorite, my favorite trip in the last 12 months has definitely been LA for the KSI Logan Paul fight. I looked insane. Oh, it was so good. I mean, I'm very lucky to have become very friendly with uh, lots of the sidemen and and KSI. Uh, So like going as a, as a fan and I'm I'm not going to say I'm a, I'm a friend, but I'm certainly a, um, an acquaintance to the point where we have a relationship and therefore I felt very much obligated um and actually quite anxious uh, about him winning um so it was it was really exciting and it's definitely the most interesting sporting event i've ever been a part of um very lucky to be ringside uh and you know really be a part of that that amazing fight that amazing night in la in november um with you know ten thousand people in the in the staple center and you know over 1.5 million people watching it worldwide uh, through pay-per-view as well you know let's not get away from that Four hundred fifty thousand people bought that fight between two youtubers who'd only ever fought once before um they bought it Four hundred fifty thousand bought it and it was and it was aired in the uk at 4 a.m 
Um, I had more pay-per-view buys than Anthony Joshua's fight in New York, which has aired at midnight. Um, this it's just obscene the the numbers that these guys do. Um, yeah. Uh, it, you know that pay-per-view. In fact, in the top twenty pay-per-view buys of all time, the two KSI Logan Paul fights both feature in terms of uh, pay-per-view numbers. It's incredible. He's talking Conor McGregor, uh, Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao, Anthony Joshua, Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder. Um, you know the biggest the biggest names in in boxing and mixed martial arts history. You know they're they're in that group just because of their audience. They both got twenty million followers and they care. And there was a fantastic battle. Um, but yeah, that whole trip was amazing. Like November's prime time to go to LA because it's, it's dingy and dark in the UK, but still nice and bright sunshine in in Los Angeles. Um, and then obviously you know with with KSI winning, I mean it's definitely the most fun vlog we've ever filmed and the best vlog we've ever put out. Uh, which if you go onto our YouTube channel, it's the it's the headline um video when you when you land on the go agency youtube channel it's it's like 10 minutes of um build up and excitement culminating in obviously the the fight itself uh it's it was so exciting and also just so nice to be able to film it right and remember those moments and taking matt there and um you know he's had an amazing time i mean he's been everywhere he's been when, when we first sat him down and said you're getting this job we told him that he'd get to go to lots of different places and his you know, his real ambition was to travel and, and sort of documentary film around the world and do traveling. And we said, okay, well, look, we're going to allow you to do that as well. So he's went, he went to the Louvre in Paris um, and had, it was, you know, have you ever been to the Louvre before? No, I've went outside it and then there was a massive queue and I thought I'm not doing that and so, just went to the... So the boys went to, so Aaron and Matt went to the Louvre and went to... Um, see Mona Lisa, the Mona Lisa in the room and they were the only people in. The whole Louvre had been bought out just so those guys went. It was nuts. So Matt and Aaron had the Mona Lisa to themselves, literally dead quiet. Um, so that was like a surreal moment for the vlog where, you know, normally a room which is so packed tight, people trying to look at this tiny painting and uh, those guys are in that room on their own in the middle of the day. Completely insane. Um, obviously LA, he went to Vegas, we took him to. We we surprised him by saying, "Yeah, we're going to go to Vegas for twenty four hours." That was fun. Um, he's done Singapore. He's done Monaco. He's done uh, Athens with me. Uh, he did Lisbon on his own with uh, one of the one of our sales guys. You know, it, it's been fun. It's been fun. A lot of traveling, but it's been a lot of fun. Well, um, the other thing I was going to say, you've packed in a lot over your you know, career since you, you you started with your Liverpool website. And, you know, is there something you're looking back on and saying you were super proud of, you know, a project or a difference that you made or, or something like that? I'm most proud of the people that we make. Um, I'd yeah. say make because 70% of our staff, be it current staff or staff that we've employed over, over the five-year period at GOAT, um, it's their first job. Yeah. Um, we don't, we don't bring in people with a huge amount of experience, mainly because we didn't have any experience going into this and we don't believe that experience is necessarily a differentiating, differentiating factor into success. And we actually believe that lots of people who have long-term experience, especially in agencies, are caught into a specific way of doing things. And that's not, not necessarily the way that we want things to be done. And we'd actually rather mold people and get people that are really hungry to disrupt and do something different and uh, and make a change so yeah about 60 to 70 percent of our our entire hires over the course of the five years have been first jobbers 
Um, and I'm proud not of how good they've become as employees, but how good they've become as people. Most of these guys come in at 22, 23, um, sometimes younger, and um, are very different people when they either leave or where they are now in the business. And we've got a lot of leaders in the business who are between 23 and 26, um, who you know are completely different people to when they walk through the doors of go uh, in the way that they hold themselves, in the way that they can talk to clients, and their confidence, and their ability to speak publicly. You know, all these different things. Um, I'm very, very proud uh of the people that we that we create um and to the point where we're you know we're um we we get targeted a lot by by headhunters of other brands and and other um other agencies who are looking to to make a difference to their hiring strategy because obviously we're we're a place that creates good people um and that's that's probably the thing i'm most proud of and i think as any business leader you can say yeah i'm proud of the fact that we've built a business to x and when we launched New York office, it was incredibly touching for me. And then, you know, the fact that we've got a Singapore office and people that work on the other side of the world, uh, you know, we, we never have a moment in the, in the working day that, that someone isn't in a go office, um, which is incredibly, you know, amazing. The fact that we've released 300 daily episodes without missing a single day, um, of the vlog is incredibly, um, motivating and, and makes me incredibly proud. But yeah, the, the, the thing that really pulls all of those things together and makes them even possible is the fact that we have amazing people and people that I, lo- I actually really love and respect and uh, care, uh, care for and, and love spending time with them as well. I, I'm, I'm most sad about working from home in this lockdown situation, mainly because I don't get to spend time with the people I like the most, which are the people I spend time with every day in the office. Um, so yeah, the, the people are, are definitely the thing that made me the most proud. And when I go and see those people go and do amazing things too, like come up with amazing ideas, make things happen that I didn't think were, were, were possible, go and speak in front of hundreds of people at public speaking seminars or whatever it is, things that I know they could have never done when they first walked through that door for the interview, that makes me super proud. Nice. Well, a couple of final questions um, just before you go. A little quick fire sure. called Market of 10. So best city to eat in? Oh, that's a great question. I love Venice. I love, I love, um, I love Italian food, but I'd probably say, I, I mean, London. London is the best city to eat, and you can eat anything, and, it, and it's the best. It was cool. You went, you went somewhere else though, because like a lot of people say London for obvious reasons. I so really, okay. maybe... I'd also say Hong Kong. Oh yeah. Okay. What 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 in particular out there? Well, I love dim sum, uh, which you know because I'm a massive Gracha fan. Um, and uh, I love them some, but I also love the sort of multicultural nature of Hong Kong, and I love the fact that Hong Kong Island is very different to Kowloon, and the culture and the food differences between sort of mainland China, Hong Kong, and Hong Kong Island, Hong Kong. Uh, yeah, fantastic place. Nice. What's your best restaurant of all time? Yuacha, easy, hands down. <laughs> hands down. <laughs> I Best restaurant in London. Although I, I love Zoilo as well, the Argentinian tapas place in Bond Street. I think that's fantastic as well. Yes, very good. That's part, very of, good. A, um, part of a two, like it's, it's got a sister uh, restaurant I've never been to because I'm so obsessed with Zoilo. But the sister restaurant is like main dishes, like classic restaurant style. And then Zoilo is like the tapas, Argentinian tapas. And it's sensational. And if you ever go, ask to sit uh, on the high stools at the bar or at the high stools in the kitchen. Good tip. Good tip. Best dish. Best dish. Christ. Um, 
Right, that's hard. That's hard. I, I probably. What do I love the most? I just love dumplings. I love. Um, I'd say any of the dumplings at uh, at Uacha. So let's pick one. I love the hargal, the um, the yes. prawn balls. I think they're, they're fantastic. They're just perfectly squishy, but the prawns in the middle at, in Uacha are just like nice and crunchy still. Like perfect. They're exactly how I want them. They're very good. Very good. Best drink? What's your go-to drink? Uh, alcoholic drink, I'd go mojito. Mm-hmm. Um, preferably a a flavored mojito though i know i know i'm throwing the boat out there but like a, a strawberry mojito or a passion fruit mojito yeah. or a raspberry mojito i like some sort of uh, flavor but i love a mojito as it is um and then as a non-alcoholic drink what do i drink quite a lot of i love a uh, fanta lemon if i'm broad and uh cool. what would i what would i drink upstairs uh Let's say a I like a Pepsi Max cherry. Oh nice. Yeah. I like a cherry coke as well or a cherry Pepsi and also always like a Dr. Pepper. Yes, yeah, we got a lot of Dr. Pepper upstairs as well. Yeah, love, love. It's always cool Dr. Pepper, isn't it? Very good. Well listen, I'll let you go from your twenty-sixth floor penthouse like some kind of Batman villain. <laughs> I don't have a lift I don't have a personal lift that goes already all the way down to my car though, which is a major uh disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, listen, thanks so much for spending the time. I mean, God, we could have talked forever and just so much great knowledge for people and you know, and I've learned a bunch as well that I'm gonna have a good reflect on. So just Hope you have a good next couple of weeks and enjoy the sunshine as much as you can um, from sort of far quarters. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely catch up on the flip side and, and get those dumplings. Sounds good to me. Thank you very much for having me and thank you very much for listening. All right. Thanks a lot, mate. All the best. So there you have it. Everything that you wanted to know about how to get the best from influencers, the best from your younger team, and the best from your social media agency, all in one podcast from the incredible Harry Hugo of The Goat Agency. Thanks to Harry for being on the show. I really, really appreciate you giving up your time to tell the listeners everything that they need to know. Thanks to you for listening. Please do share with one friend or one colleague, and please do like, subscribe, share, rate, and review if you can. Thanks to our headline sponsors, Engage, Visit Engage Interactive for all your digital and social media needs. Thanks also to our premium partner, BDO. Visit bdo.co.uk for all your business financial questions and queries. Thanks to Gaz and Gabby for putting the show together. As usual, it really is appreciated. So this is me, Mark McSee, signing off. Bless you. Thanks for listening. I hope that you got as much from this episode as I did. And I really hope that this has given you enough value and inspiration to make your brand boom.